Man is the maker of happiness and misery. Further, he is the creator and perpetuator of his own happiness and misery. These things are not externally imposed. They are internal conditions. Their cause is neither deity nor devil, nor circumstance, but thought. They are the effects of deeds, and deeds are the visible side of thoughts. Fixed attitudes of mind determine courses of conduct, and from courses of conduct come those reactions called happiness and unhappiness. This being so, it follows that, to alter the reactive condition, one must alter the act of thought. To exchange misery for happiness, it is necessary to reverse the fixed attitude of mind and habitual course of conduct, which is the cause of misery, and the reversed effect will appear in the mind and life. A man has no power to be happy while thinking and acting selfishly. He cannot be unhappy while thinking and acting unselfishly. Wheresoever the cause is, there the effect will appear. Man cannot abrogate effects, but he can alter causes. He can purify his nature. He can remould his character. There is great power in self-conquest. There is great joy in transforming oneself. Each man is circumscribed by his own thoughts, but he can gradually extend their circle. He can enlarge and elevate his mental sphere. He can leave the low and reach up to the high. He can refrain from harboring thoughts that are dark and hateful, and can cherish thoughts that are bright and beautiful. And, as he does this, he will pass into a higher sphere of power and beauty, will become conscious of a more complete and perfect world. For men live in spheres low or high, according to the nature of their thoughts. Their world is as dark and narrow as they conceive it to be, as expansive and glorious as their comprehensive capacity. Everything around them is tinged with the colour of their thoughts. Consider the man whose mind is suspicious, covetous, envious. How small and mean and drear everything appears to him. Having no grandeur in himself, he sees no grandeur anywhere. Being ignoble himself, he is incapable of seeing nobility in any being. Even his God is a covetous being that can be bribed, and he judges all men and women to be just as petty and selfish as he himself is, so that he sees, in the most exalted acts of unselfishness, only motives that are mean and base. Consider again the man whose mind is unsuspecting, generous, magnanimous. How wondrous and beautiful is his world! He is conscious of some kind of nobility in all creatures and beings. He sees men as true, and to him they are true. In his presence the meanest forget their nature, and, for the moment, become like himself, getting a glimpse, albeit confused, in that temporary upliftment of a higher order of things, of an immeasurably nobler and happier life. That small-minded and this large-hearted man live in two different worlds, though they be neighbours. 
their consciousness embraces totally different principles. Their actions are each the reverse of the other. Their moral insight is contrary. They each look out upon a different order of things. Their mental spheres are separate, and like two detached circles, they never mingle. The one is in hell, the other in heaven, as truly as they will ever be, and a death will not place a greater gulf between them than already exists. To the one, the world is a den of thieves. To the other, it is the dwelling-place of gods.' 